Just say amen again. Amen. amen. One more time. Amen. amen. God has been so faithful, hasn't he? I am so thankful for this day and all of you guys' children coming to the house of Bethel. The Lord Jesus said that those who worship him must do so in spirit and in truth. I am very, very thankful to have this opportunity to come and to share in this anniversary. It's the 151st anniversary, and I am thankful for my friend, Pastor Bishop, and for his invitation to have me come and to share in the Word of God. I want to, as I said, thank him, thank the Lord Jesus Christ first, who is our life, and I want to thank the uh, officers of this church and for uh, the wonderful hospitality shown to us thus far. And um, we're thankful for just the opportunity to be here for Sister Red, Sister Bishop, amen. And she looks lovely there, amen. And uh, I, I want to say that I want to, I, I just want to say thank you for taking care of the man of God and his wife and his family. You can always tell when a man is taken, well taken care of and we need to make sure that we take care of God's men and of their families. Also, I'm happy to see uh, Brother Houston, Sister Houston. Our Brother Houston was my former minister of music when I passed the Great Good Hope. We're thankful to see him and uh, his family as well. And just thankful to God for the music. And um, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was sitting there with my eyes closed. I said, oh, yeah, that's Rodney playing. Um, so I guess you have a somewhat of a signature. And so we're, we're thankful to God for, for you as well. Also, I want to, to thank, um, there are members I see in a couple locations of BCF Bible Community Fellowship for being here with us this morning. Uh, if you were BCF, would you please stand? I'd like to introduce you to this wonderful, amen. Praise God, amen. Praise God, thank you. Amen. Thank the Lord for, for you being here today, those of you who are here today. So we thank the Lord for that. Then also, um, Pastor Bishop mentioned my wife Peggy and uh, a daughter, Akisha. Akia is not here, but Akisha is here. But So I'm going to introduce Akisha. Stand up, Akisha. Amen. It's our daughter, Akisha. All right. Then we saved the queen for last. This is my bride of 30 plus now years, and this is Sister Peggy Jordan. Amen. Thank you. My heart always grows very, very lonely when I'm traveling uh, far from her, and she starts crying past the bishop two weeks in ahead, ahead of time. It used to be, go ahead and get out of the house. Uh, now it's... It's, uh, it's a little hard for her to see me travel. We are so thankful. On tomorrow, we'll get an opportunity, as Pastor Bishop said, to travel again to, to um, Zimbabwe. I want to tell you that you have a pastor who's a humble brother. Amen? When, bro when, when brothers are talking about your pastor, amen. 
Amen. You make sure you say that's right. Amen. Praise God. Amen. He's a preacher. Amen. Who loves the Lord, loves his wife. He's a man in, of integrity. Amen. And I can tell you that when he's eight, 9,000 miles away, that he's on his best behavior. Amen. Praise God. And we thank God for that and for our friendship. And uh, I will also tell you that he's a very wise man. Yeah, very wise man. I have some other friends. I can't say too much about them being wise. As we were in Africa on last year together. Of course, I was back in May, but we were in Africa back in last year together. We had a few friends, Brother Houston, who wanted to walk with lions. I will tell you that your pastor is a very wise man. He was not one of those who did that. Amen. And so uh, I knew we would be friends a very long time. No, we look forward to our, our trip and our relationship and our opportunity to share on, on tomorrow. Pray for us as we do um, embark to leave um, to, to Zimbabwe to teach uh, pastors um, and church leaders so that they too might spread the word of God there in Zimbabwe. Now, I always like to gauge on how long I should preach. I don't see a clock. And I left my cell phone at home. Um, so I leaned over to your pastor and I asked him how long I should preach or does he normally preach? He says he preaches about two hours. No, I'm just joking. He said he preaches about an hour though. I said, well, good. All right, then I'm all right. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. I'm in the ballpark. Uh, I used to... I used to preach an hour, right, BCL? They didn't see that funny, okay. So I'm trying to cut it down to 45 minutes or less. But I want to, uh, to be serious now and go into the word of God. I want to ask you to turn to Matthew's Gospel, the 16th chapter. And in case you're wondering, this is not my normal attire. Uh, I play basketball from time to time, and I think I just got the notice that retirement is definitely uh, on the agenda. Pray for me tomorrow. I find out whether or not I have to have surgery. I don't want to do that, but if you would, pray for me. Um, but I'll try um, to balance this act here. Um, this morning. If you would, in the 16th chapter, and if it is your custom to stand, if you would, from the 13th verse the scripture reads, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, 
the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his holy and most righteous words. You may be seated. I want to share with you from the subject today, the legacy of the church. The legacy of the church. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for this opportunity to share in this anniversary and this time of proclamation. I ask, oh God, that you will empower me to preach your word. And dear Lord, we pray for the people who would hear the word, that they would not only be hearers of thy word, but doers of your word. This we ask in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. The legacy of the church. I'm told that Willow Creek, North Point, the Potter's House, and Southeast Christian are among those who men say are some of the most influential churches in America. However, I'm also told that effective churches are some of the most effective churches in America are those who have congregations of 250 or less. In another study, I recently read it was said that the most intimate and stronger churches are under a hundred. I want you to know that currently in America, 80% of the churches have either plateaued or in decline. That's 80% of Southern Baptist churches particularly. That is very, very disturbing. But I want to say first, before I continue to Forest Baptist, that I commend you for proclaiming the name of Jesus for 151 years. Four years after slaves in the South were emancipated, former slaves, led by Eliza Tevis, took to the woods to worship God, and thus Forest Baptist Church was born. It's amazing that how God during post-slavery and during the pre-Jim Crow era allowed 
this church and other churches to be established. I shared with Pastor Bishop that one of my first church I pastored was birthed in the very same year as Forrest. And 151 years later, Forrest is still committed to preaching and proclaiming truth to the world. Thank you, Forrest, for choosing a pastor who is an expositor and who is dedicated to the inerrant word of God. And I say to you, what a legacy. Let's give God a hand clap of praise. However, I want to talk to you about the true legacy of the church. The one who before there was a win or there who said, if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. Now there are many ways that people have defined the church. I remember when we had just planted Bible Community Fellowship, we were mentoring a young man who uh, had been visiting a particular church, a very large congregation in the city. And I remember uh, a person who had been somewhat mentoring him from that particular location or congregation um, said to him as he had urged her to take him back to Bible Community Fellowship. And she said, why would you want to go to that particular church? They're not really a church. And so based on the size of the church, some people define the church being a church based on its size. However, the church is defined as the ecclesia. We are the called out ones. We are the ones who have been called out to stand out for Christ. And many people have sometimes defined a successful church as those, as I've said, who have a certain number. But I recall Jesus saying that where two or three gather, are gathered in my name, there I will be in the midst. Now I want to give you a news flash. The most successful church is the church that is obedient to the word of God in making disciples and teaching those disciples to observe everything that Jesus has said. But as we navigate through this text, I want to give some historical information that would help to shed some light on the context of this scripture. Jesus, if you would, travel with me through the text, has taken his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. Previously, he had a discourse with the Pharisees and the Sadducees who sought a sign for him to prove his lordship and the fact that he is the Messiah. After describing how hypocritical they where Jesus speaks to his disciples privately about being aware of the leavened bread of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The disciples first misunderstood what Jesus was saying. You see, leaven is nothing more than yeast. And yeast, you know, if you make bread, will rise. Yeast is a type of sin. And so you and I must be careful that we do not allow the leaven, that is the sin, in us to rise. 
And so the disciples were warned to beware of this leaven. For a moment they did not understand, but Jesus explained it to them and they came to an understanding of what Jesus was saying. But as Jesus and his disciples came into this region, they would have come upon a city that Philip, or Herod Philip, the patriarch, had dedicated to pay tribute to Caesar Augustus and to preserve his own name. Thus we have Caesarea Philippi. The city set up on a rock that had engraved in it slits for the names or slots, if you would, for the names of many gods. So if you can imagine, as they were walking towards the region, Jesus asking the questions to his disciples, who do men say that the son of man is? Now I want to uncover three disclosures from this particular text. What men say about Jesus, the son of man that is. Son of man being referenced to the covenant of the Davidic or the Davidic covenant, his link or his link to the throne, that is the Messiah's link to the throne, his heritage. What Peter as spokesman, as spokesman has said about Jesus and what Jesus says about his church. Let's look at what men say about Jesus. To answer the question that Jesus asked, the disciples began to rattle off. Some said that you are John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, are one of the other prophets. Whatever the case, men knew that Jesus was different than most, even though they did not recognize him as the Messiah. I want to say first to us that it is important that those who proclaim the name of Christ know who Christ is. In this postmodern society, it is important that we understand the relevancy of Christ because there are those who through their vain imaginations have called Jesus everything but son of the living God. In fact, the Muslims say that he's just another good prophet. They put him or they make him equal to Muhammad. The Mormons teach that he is the brother of Lucifer. The Baha'is say that he was born divine and human, but they attribute that to all gods. The Hindus say Jesus is a man of superior ethics, but he is not the only way to God. The Buddhists say that Jesus is an enlightened man. The New Agers say that Jesus was a wise teacher, but that everyone can attain to who Jesus is. The Russell lights, that is the watchtower, excuse me if I don't give them the title that they choose. 
say that Jesus was a word instead of the word. Still, there are those who do not believe that he exists. Now, Jesus asked the question, knowing fully what men thought of him and who they thought he was. But this question was a setup question. It was set up to bring the disciples to a true point of their true confession. You see, those who follow Christ must know who he is and be willing to say who he is without a doubt. This was particularly important during this particular time because the Sadducees and the Pharisees were teaching false doctrines about the Messiah. And you and I live in an age where we must truly contend for the gospel because there are too many misleading doctrines in the world today. You can't be afraid to stand up for God. And Luke 9, 26 says, For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and the holy angels. You see, we must know that the legacy of the church was not established by those who established the local assemblies. The history of force is rich. I want you to know that. And I came to uh, know more about that history back in February. That history is rich and Eliza Tevis may have been a charter member. But I want you to know that the church did not originate with her. Some of you may be descendants of, of the Tevis family, but it did not originate with your family. And, 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 and I've heard many churches talk about my mama and my daddy are charter members of the church, but I want you to know something. They are not the originators of the church. I remember when we planted Bible Community Fellowship, a, a woman walked up to me and said, aren't you happy? You finally now have your own church. I said, ma'am, I'm sorry, I don't understand what you mean. I don't have my own church. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the foundation of the church. You know, it's amazing. It's amazing how significant we make ourselves in the light of the history of our churches. I think I'm safe. I don't see anything like it here. I think I'm safe to say this. But in the, in the, in the sanctuary of where I pastor uh, in our church, uh, there are names of former members of another congregation who had formed in the 1800s, I believe. And many of those names of charter members are, are still bore there on the pews of the church. And I can imagine in my, in my, my imagination, I've gone back and I, I can imagine people saying, you know, I'll pay X amount of dollars to get my name on it. Or, or my family, my family was here uh, first. Or we were charter members. Please put our names on the pew. And I thought, how insignificant or how significant, brother, it must have been for them. Whoever came up with the idea of posting names on pews and windows and all over the place, however, how insignificant. So many years later, when no one even knows who the people are, whose names are listed on the plates. 
However, I want you to know, Jesus is still significant. Even 2,000 years after he got up from the grave, he is still significant. And so that's where we want to place our focus is on Jesus. Peter, what do you say about Jesus? Jesus asked the second question directly to his disciples. Who do you say that I am? So Peter speaks up as the spokesman for the group. Jesus was not speaking to Peter alone, but Peter was normally the one who was eager enough to speak first. Peter answers, thou art the Christ. That is, thou art the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus immediately blesses Peter and acknowledges that this revelation was not of flesh and blood, but rather from God. You see, this is especially important because of all of the false teaching that was going on about who Jesus was that was surfacing during the time. I want you to know this. I want you to understand this, that true revelation about God comes from God. This book, the Bible, contains all of the revelation that man needs to know about God. If there were no other books written after this book, if there were no seminaries, this Bible, the Bible would be all that we need to know who God is. And I want you to know that his word is supreme. It is inerrant. That means it does not have any errors. It is infallible, which means that there is nothing false about the Bible. It is the final authority. And listen to this, newsflash, newsflash. It is the final revelation. So when you run into folks who say that they have a new revelation, you can dismiss them as having something wrong with them. Jesus is the Logos. He is the word. John 1, 1 says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 says that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. That is that it is verbal, plenary. It is all God breathed and it is profitable for doctrine. It is profitable for correction. It is profitable for reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. And then Hebrews 1, 1 tells us that in sundry times and in diverse manners, God spoke to the fathers through the prophet, but hath in these last days spoken to us through his son who he has appointed error over all things. And so what am I saying? I'm trying to establish the fact that the word of God is supreme, that Jesus is supreme, and that you and I as Christians ought to know if we go on another 150 years for us, if you go on, you need to know who Jesus is. It's important to know that since we cannot have new revelations, that God will provide for us an illumination 
so that we are able to know exactly who he is. That means that when you're reading God's word, that as you come to places where you may not uh, quickly understand what's going on in the text, that the Holy Spirit will shine light upon the text so that you will be able to understand and know exactly who Jesus is. Because I want you to know that from kiver to kiver, that is from beginning to the end, that the word of God is talking about Jesus from the beginning to the end of the word of God. It's all about him. If you've had an experience with him, you know that he's just not another prophet or that he is one who shares or is not one who shares his deity with others. However, you will know that he is the son of the living God. God himself has put his stamp of approval on his son at his baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased at the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. God has put his stamp of approval and we can't disapprove who God has approved. And so Jesus wanted the disciples to know that they knew who Jesus was because they were going to have to go among those who would challenge the message of Jesus being the Messiah. However, the, the disciples didn't quite get it all right then. It was not until after the resurrection that they fully understood it. But you and I as Christians must be able to tell people who Jesus is. We must not defer to our pastors or to our church leaders, but we must know and be able to intelligently sound off with the truth when asked. There are a lot of folks who will say, you know, well, if I, whenever I come to an issue where, or a point where I've got, someone asks me about Jesus, I just tell them to call my pastor. That's lame. That's spiritually lame. You ought to know enough about the word of God. And if you're coming to Bible study, help me somebody. If you're showing up in Sunday school and if you're listening to the sermons, you ought to know how to tell somebody about Jesus. If he's truly, I wish I had some help in here today. If he's truly been good to you, if he's all that what you tell people he is, then you ought to be able to uh, tell folks about who he is. Jesus. What did Jesus say about his church. Jesus says in this discourse, he says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, this statement, Pastor Bishop, has caused, as you know, much controversy among theologians and those especially of the Catholic Church. First, I want us to understand that Jesus did not hand over some special authority to Peter that has been passed on to the popes of the world. And if that were the case, I don't need to go into anything else. But if that were the case, we wouldn't be having the problems that we're having with the Catholic Church. Touching children, help me somebody, and, and, and putting it up under the carpet. No one can stand before Christ as authority. 
The scripture says that God has highly exalted him. Secondly, Revelation 1 speaks of the one who stands in the midst of his church. And I search the scriptures and, and I find that Peter is nowhere. But I find that in Revelation it is speaking of Jesus who stands in the midst of the church. He's the golden lampstand who knows what's going on in the church. It's amazing how people always have an ideal of what should go on in the church. And they come up with earthly ideals of the way the church is supposed to run. But I don't see any of their names in that book of Revelation. I only see Jesus who is standing in the midst of the church. I hope we don't have people here at Forest who believe that they know better than Jesus. R-A-B-C-F. Because we ought to be quick to tell them that Jesus owns the church. The church, according to Ephesians 2.20, the church is built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, but Jesus is the chief cornerstone. You see, one cannot build a solid foundation without a cornerstone. Because the cornerstone gives a perfect alignment for the entire foundation. I believe that Jesus is speaking not of Peter. There is a play on words there, Petrus and Petra. But I believe that Jesus is speaking of himself. Because in the statement he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want to tell you, even the best of best preachers in the world have problems and have issues. And the gates of hell, if it hadn't been for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who died and took death by the neck and crushed his head. If it hadn't been for that fact, all of us would fall every day. So this statement speaks of the time of the resurrection when Jesus would get up from the grave. Satan thought that he had Jesus all finished at Calvary. He thought he had him. Since he had bruised his heel at the cross, he thought he was successful in stopping Jesus. But Jesus manifesting his love through the humanity, through humanity called the church. Jesus on early Sunday morning on the third day, Satan found out that his father, that is Jesus' father had given his son power that Satan hadn't yet seen. Satan in death had had his head crushed at the resurrection and Jesus rose with all power in his hand. And the gates of hell tried to keep Jesus in the grave, but it found that it was powerless. And ever since that day, Satan has tried to prevail against the church, but the church just won't die. He tried with the apostles, but the more he persecuted them, the more they preached God's word. He tried it in the first century church by using wicked kings and monarchs to kill off Christians. But the more that they martyred, the more people lined up to be martyred. The church will always live because the church is not built on humanity alone, but on the one who was both God and man. 
Philippians 2 and 5 says this. He thought it not robbery, that is Jesus, to be equal with God. He came as a servant and he fashioned himself as a man. Made himself of no reputation and he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. Wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And every tongue will one day confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we don't worry about folks in the sense that those who are very contentious about who Jesus is because one day they will lift up their eyes and they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And finally, Jesus gives the keys to the kingdom of heaven and the binding and the loosing on earth to the disciples I want you to know, we as preachers, we don't have any special powers. And we really can't do anything without God directing us to do some things. The keys, I want you to know, is the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel. And the fact that the gospel will bind some and will loose others. As humans, we cannot place people into heaven or hell. But some will accept Christ and others will reject him. So we have the power to preach the revelation of Christ. Him crucified, risen, and coming again. And with that revelation, the legacy of the church is made known to the world. That's why we're going to Zimbabwe. To both those who would receive him and to both those who would reject him. This is how Jesus builds his church. Through the unadulterated proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And with this gospel, it also gives the apostles the authority to make certain judgments. But based on the word of God, to keep us in line with what is right in the church. That's why it's profitable. But doctrine, reproof, and correction, and instruction in righteousness. I want you to know that the business of the church should be about building the church through evangelism and missions and teaching people to observe what the Bible says. It's not done through programs. It's not done because of gimmicks and coffee houses and all kinds of theater seating and, and all kinds of programs throughout the church, but it's done through the preaching, I mean the true preaching of God's word. And I want to tell you something, if the church is going to be successful, the church is going to have to learn to love good preaching. If your pastor preaches for an hour, you ought to be able to say, preach on, preacher. I remember somewhere in scripture where a man fell out the window because the preachers had preached all night long. It took a preacher to go down and to, and to lay upon the man and to, to revive that man. Many of us today don't have a tolerance for preaching because we're so filled with worldliness. 
And so we don't have a tolerance for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you that a church that's worth its salt is a church who loves the word of God and who will get behind a pastor and a preacher who teaches the word of God. A church that's worth its salt is a church that says we ought to show up at Bible study even when we don't feel like showing up. A church that's worth its salt say we ought to support Sunday school. We ought to support missions. We ought to support evangelism. We ought to make sure we're spreading the word. We ought to make sure that Jesus Christ his name is before the church and it's not a charter member. It is not the deacon board and it's not the trustee board. It is not the preacher's ministry. It is not the pastor. But we ought to say it is the name of Jesus the Christ. Onward Christian soldiers marching on to war with the cross before us. It ought to be about the cross. Nothing but the cross. As we close, I'm so glad that in the midst of so many false doctrines, Joel Osteen can certainly fill up a church building. But I want to tell you, if you want to know what true fake news is, that's fake news. Men may teach that he's irrelevant. Men may teach that now the Old Testament is irrelevant. But I want you to know that the Old Testament conceals what the New Testament reveals. And you and I cannot have an appreciation for the New Testament if we don't see the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is pointing to Calvary. The Old Testament is pointing to the person of Jesus Christ. And what fool would say that the Old Testament is now irrelevant? We better watch where we get our doctrine from. Yeah, they may say that he's old-fashioned or that he's some wise tale. But I'm so glad to know that whether men believe him or not, he is all of this to me. He is the ancient of old. He is my anchor. He is the anointed one. He is the almighty one. He is the alpha and the omega. He is my advocate. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the final authority. He is the bread of life. He is the beloved son of God. He is the bridegroom. He is the deliverer. He is faithful and true. He is the good shepherd. He is the great high priest. He is the head of the church. He is the holy servant. He is the I am that I am. He is Emmanuel. He is the inscribable gift. He is the judge. He is the king of kings. He is the lamb of God. He is the light of the world. He is the Lion of Judah. He is the Lord of all. He is the mediator. He is the Messiah. He is the mighty one. He is the one who sets free. He is our hope. He is our peace. He is our prophet. He is our redeemer. He is our risen Lord. He is the resurrection and the life. He is sacrifice for our sins. He is savior. He is the son of the most high. 
He is the supreme creator of all. He is the door. He is the way. He is the word. He is the true vine. He is the truth. He is the victorious one. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting of the Father, the Prince of Peace. He is the stumbling stone. He is a rock of offense. He is a tried stone. He is a costly cornerstone. He is a stone which the builders rejected. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the living stone. He is the rock of ages. And in lies the Tivis's era. The old slaves called him. The old slaves called him the lily of the valley, the bright and the morning star, a bridge over troubled waters, a bread in a starving land, a doctor in the sick room, a lawyer in the courtroom. But I'm so glad that he is the builder and it is his legacy that we ought to be celebrating today. You ought to lift up your hands and say thank you Jesus for the legacy of Jesus. Thank you Jesus for the legacy of the cross. Thank you Jesus for the legacy of the resurrection. The legacy of the church belongs to Jesus. The undisputed one at Calvary. And he's our soon returning king. He's coming back again for a church that's without spot or wrinkled. He's coming back. He's coming back for a church. Are you ready? God bless you.